You're listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. This morning's scripture reading is Luke, second chapter, verses 41 through 52 on your pew, in your pew Bibles, page 833 to 834. The boy Jesus in the temple. Now, every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. He said to them, why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. Thank you, Luann. Pam and I were talking not too long ago, and we realized that we now have been members of this church for 25 years. I I said, that that can't be possible. 25 years? But then I got to thinking about it. Both of our boys were baptized in this church, and our older son is 36. So 25 years, (laughs) it flew by. Um, The reason I I just bring that up is this is the third time that I have been asked to to fill in for a a pastor that's on vacation. I know that's not a lot of times, but the two previous times I was able to spend some time thinking and planning and reading, and it really helped me clarify some some things rumbling around in my head. this time was no different. I, I very much have appreciated this opportunity. So as a way of a, a sort of a disclaimer, if um, what I have to say helps you or reaches you in any way, yay. Um, but if not, it's helped me greatly, so I apologize. But a wise man once told me what better place to ask forgiveness than a sanctuary full of Christians. Anyway, the passage from Luke that Luann just read to us is the only description of Jesus as a boy. It's the only information we have of what his childhood was like. 
Matthew describes the birth, their escape to and return from Egypt, but then he goes right to the baptism of Jesus. Mark and John, they jump right in with the uh, baptism of Jesus. So this story tells us that every year, Jesus and his family made the trip to Jerusalem for Passover. Now, I, I googled that area of the world back in the time of Jesus, and I, I kind of used the scale and determined it to be about 64, 65 miles as the crow flies. Now, they would have probably traveled in some sort of a caravan, a, a, a large group of people. Probably would have taken them a minimum of four days. But according to Dan, to make the trip from Nazareth to Jerusalem as the crow flies, they would have had to travel through Samaria. And apparently, the Jews and the Samarians didn't get along. So more than likely, they would have had to take a, a roundabout trip that would have taken even longer. Because Samaria sits right in between the two. So this story takes place um, when Jesus was 12 years old. And on the return trip, after they've walked a day and the caravan stops for the night, Mary and Joseph realize Jesus isn't there. Now in my mind, I'm picturing that Home Alone story where Kevin's mom realizes in the aircraft that Kevin is not there. She sits up and she is in a state of panic. Well, I'm sure that they were in a panic. We just so happen to have another story of our son James. Similar story. I'm teaching one day, and I get a call from the Ginther School. Uh, Did James come to school today? Yeah. I immediately called Pam. Did James go to school today? Yeah. Uh, He wasn't there. So there was a little bit of panic. Well, come to find out, young James, who was not particularly enjoying first grade, got off the school bus, his friends all went to the left, he went to the right, and he decided to walk home. Now, we live in Sweden Village, so they required him to walk across Main Street, but uh, come to find out, talking to him later on, he went, sat home, watched a little TV, then walked next door to the neighbor's house. She was providing daycare for our, our younger son, so he hung out with them for the day. Well, needless to say, our emotions were in a big roller coaster, but everything was okay. Now, imagine Mary and Joseph. They're in the middle of the desert. There's no Jesus. So they take the trip back to Jerusalem, and they search for him for three days before they find him. And where is this 12-year-old? We're talking a 12-year-old. That would make him about sixth grade. I taught in the middle school for one year. I couldn't wait to get away from that age. But where is this 12-year-old? He's sitting with the Jewish teachers in the temple, listening to them and asking questions. Now, I'm sure that Mary and Joseph are extremely relieved. They're probably angry, as as any parent would be. When they question him, he responds very simply, Why did you have to look for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? 
Now, Mary and Joseph are, are dumbfounded. They're speechless at this point. They, they simply couldn't understand. But it says that Mary treasured all these things in her heart. Previously, at the end of Luke chapter 2, it said that Mary treasured all these things in her heart. And I know why Dan has his water here. <clears throat> what are these things that Mary is thinking about, that she's treasuring? Is she thinking about the miracle of conception in Jesus' birth? Is she thinking about the miracle of the shepherds relating the words of the angels? Is she thinking about the miracle of the wise men's warning and their escape from Herod into Egypt? Is she thinking about the miracle of finding Jesus safe in the temple? Or is it his response to them? So this is where my pondering started. Dan's first sermon in Advent was called, There's Something About Mary. I've listened to that two, three, four times, um, which, by the way, you can um, download the podcast and listen to his sermons over and over again. Totally recommend that. Um, but anyway, in, in his sermon, there's something about Mary. His second point was about the miracle of her pregnancy and the birth of Jesus. A miracle. And he made the point that sometimes we get too hung up on specifics and explanations to simply have faith in miracles. The Bible tells us that there is nothing that God cannot do. Now, we use the word miracle all the time. Think about sports. In 1969, the Miracle Mets won the World Series. If you've got some time, Google sports miracles the list that comes up will be endless. We have that awful mayonnaise substitute, Miracle Whip. There's that plant food, Miracle Grow. And then at Christmas time, we add to the original miracle with Hollywood movies. There's the miracle on 34th Street. In, in, in the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, Mary says, not once, but twice, it's a miracle, George, it's a miracle. Then there are the Hallmark movies. Now, Pam and I must have watched, I don't know, 15 of them this year, and in almost every one, the last scene, the young couple gets together, they're under the mistletoe, they kiss, the snow starts to fall, and Pam and I would look at each other and say, it's a Christmas miracle. <laughs> now, I've always loved Christmas. Christmas used is my favorite, time of the, favorite season of the year. Even better than golf season, Kurt. <laughs> my birthday is six days before Christmas. But my mom and dad and my wife never once gypped me on presents and celebrating my birthday. So I had just wonderful joy at, uh, at this holiday time. But I have to admit, the last couple Christmas seasons, I've not been filled with the holiday cheer that I used to be 
in the past. See, my son and his family moved away um, two years ago in July. Um, and they had lived right around the corner from us, and I was so looking forward to the time when my boys would be old enough to come up, walk over and have cookies and milk with Mimi and Papa. But they moved away. They're doing very well. But I, for the last couple of years, was eh, pretty sad and down this time of year. However, this year, I resolved to get back into that feeling again, and I started to look for miracles, as Dan had said. Now, I know it's not going to be the explosions of lights or the choirs of angels, but I have come to believe that I experience miracles every day. Now, maybe it's making a birdie with a stroke and winning a $10 skin. That's a, a golf reference, and I know Kurt understands it. Maybe it's the faces of children, especially my grandchildren, that even though they're hundreds of miles away, I can see them up close anytime with Facebook, and we have the ability and the wherewithal to go visit them. Maybe it's waking up in the morning next to my beautiful wife of 41 years. Maybe it's having two successful sons who, for whatever reason, have followed my career into teaching and coaching, who also have wonderful lives, and, of course, my beautiful grandchildren. I was really getting into the holiday spirit this year. I had not one, but three XM stations on my car tuned to holiday music. I had several Christmas stations on Pandora that I could listen to. And I almost always would walk by and say, Alexa, play Christmas music. I was shopping. I went to the mall with my wife once, where I got a cup of coffee and sat on the bench by the, uh, the holiday display. Talked to a wonderful guy from somewhere down near Dansville. We put up decorations, Pam baked Christmas cookies, and I ate them. I was really getting into the holiday spirit like I had. But then we had to put our beautiful pet dog, Molly. <laughs> I wasn't going to do this. We had to put her to sleep. I'm okay. I'm okay. The week before Christmas. On my birthday. Well, I'm sure you can imagine the sadness, the tears. But that night I'm laying in bed. And I remembered something that Jan Womble said during our last talkback session on Dan's miracles. She said very simply, death is a part of life. So that got me really, really thinking. Now we talk about the miracle of life, the miracle of Jesus' conception, but we talk about the miracle of life, the miracle of birth. Now I know we've all taken biology and health, and we know about the, the union of the sperm and the egg, and we have pictures of the scientists, the electron microscopes actually showing you the, the cell, the cell division, the process of mitosis, and the, the development, and the whole process. We can see that. We're very sophisticated here in the United States in the 21st century. And then we know about the, the birth process with dilation and contractions. But then the baby shows up. Ten fingers, ten toes, 
that first cry, yeah, the, the, the textbooks and the obstetricians and the scientists, they can tell us the process, what happens. They can tell us how it happens. We have ultrasound. We can see it. But we can't see is why it happens. We have to have a little faith there that it does happen. Now think about third world countries. They don't have the sophisticated technology that we do. They probably don't even have the doctors to deliver their babies. 100, 150 years ago, we didn't have that technology. Babies were born every day. Isn't that the true sense of a miracle? We don't know why, but there it is. It happens. So, in my mind, doing a little extrapolation, if death is a part of life, as Jan said, then death is a miracle too. Again, doctors can tell us why it happens. They can tell us how it happens. But there's still always the question of why. We don't know why, but there it is. It happens. In the um, Gospel of John, chapter 14, do not be worried and upset, Jesus told them. Believe in God and believe also in me. There are many rooms in my Father's house and I am going to prepare a place for you. I would not tell you this if it were not so. And after I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to myself so that you will be where I am. So even though we can't see it, faith tells us that it must happen. <clears throat> this Christmas turned out to be one of the best that I've had in a long time. It was wonderful. So I want to thank Dan Brockway for his sermon on Mary. Jan, I want to thank you for your inspirational words. And I want to thank all of you for letting me put my thoughts together and say them out loud. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.